kind of recognized that podcasting isn't a business by itself. Like it can be a marketing channel for a business, but until you have, you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of, of downloads, it is not a business uh, on its own. We stand today. The business method the business with method. a shadow. The business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method Currently, we have interviewed about 65 major influencers from around the world on this podcast series, and today's guest, I am happy to announce, is one of the top business podcasters, ranking in at number seven on Apple Podcasts for Entrepreneurship. Nick Loper is the founder and host of The Side Hustle Show, a podcast for part-time entrepreneurs who are looking for business ideas, actionable tips to start a business, and killer strategies on how to turn their side hustle dreams into a growing business. They cover all aspects of starting a business and making money online and offline. The topics include passive income ideas, niche sites, self-publishing, software and app development, and many, many, many more. Today on the show, we get into the nitty-gritty of starting and building a podcast and business part-time. Entrepreneurs talk all the time about the hustle, working hard to make things happen in your business and make your dreams come true. What we don't talk about as often as we should is the art of building a business slowly. Many entrepreneurs have done this successfully and have ended up building incredible successful businesses. The fact is, is that not everyone can go all in with a new business. There are a lot of people that have their jobs and their lives that come first and a business has to be built on the side of these priorities. Nick talks directly directly to people about this on his podcast. Throughout the show, Nick and I really talk a lot about how he's built a successful business from his podcast. He has some incredible insight on what's working and what's not working for podcasting today. Nick is transparent enough to share his financial numbers and how many listeners he has for his show, and he gives thorough advice on creating a successful business and a successful podcast. It's really a must listen if you are thinking about or have started your own show, you guys, without further ado, let's welcome Nick Loper to the show. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome to the podcast today. Today, we have on the show another top-rated podcaster, Nick Loper. Nick is the founder and host of the Side Hustle Show, a podcast for part-time entrepreneurs who are looking for business ideas, actionable tips to start a business, and killer strategies on how to turn their side hustle dreams into growing a business. Nick, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? 
doing very well. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for coming on the show. And I can really appreciate your microphone and audio right now because I love it. You know, as a podcaster, I'm sure you know how great it is when a guest comes on the show and has really good quality audio. So, so, so thanks for that. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because last week I recorded, yeah, after doing this for six years, I recorded three episodes picking up the wrong mic and I'm listening back to this stuff. I was like, what is going on? I sound awful. <laughs> and so it's like, yes, because I insist on it, you know, from guests and then I went and messed it up myself. So ah, yeah. it was like so frustrating. Happens to the both, both of us. You know, I, one time I had a really, really juicy, like a dream guest come on the show and uh, I didn't hit the record button for the first two and a half minutes. And then I was like, oh, my <laughs> I must have been nervous or something because I guess. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Oh, gosh, it's perils of perils of podcasting. Perils of podcasting. That's a good po- uh, that may be a good blog post. Um, but uh, thanks for coming on the show. I'm really glad to have you. And I've heard about your, your show for a long time now. And I want to talk about the perils of podcasting and all the, the fun stuff that we go through as podcasters, building podcasts, and your show, um, which is really cool, the Side Hustle Show. But first, I want to ask you, because I'm a fan of doing this, um, I've heard that you took 500 cold showers uh, in a row for 500 days. Is this correct? That is a true story. Oh my gosh. So I take cold showers, like especially before bed and you know, I've been doing it, you know, off and on, but every once in a while, you know, on the weekend, I like a nice warm shower. But, uh, what inspired you to take 500, do 500 days of cold showers? It was actually a guest, you know, this is like, okay, fine. I don't want to look bad in front of listeners. I will uh, do this for 30 days and see what happens. And cause that was kind of like the, the baseline, you know, do this, try and make it a habit, see what happens. And it could have been total placebo, but as I started doing that, you know, some good things started happening. I don't know, like started to pick <laughs> up a little more traffic and traction and started getting more clients. And it was a weird, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to make me, if it ain't broke, they'll fix it kind of a thing. And on top of that, like it does, it's like this kind of like primal energy where it's like, oh, this is the worst thing I have to do today. And you just get to uh, ready to face today. Now, interestingly, he kind of started it as a like a fat burning hack under like the laws of thermodynamics or something where it's like you're going to expend more calories long after the shower is done heating your body back up and he's like so you know he used it primarily to lose a lot of weight and then found kind of all these other side benefits on the productivity and mindset side incredible and and so uh how long ago was that that you that you finished this would have been from 2014 to 2015. Okay. So how often are you taking cold showers these days? Yeah, I usually will start cold and end cold today. Uh-huh. And so it's not, uh, it's not every time. Okay. Do you ever like, do you ever, I mean, you can always go back and take it, but I, I find like sometimes I miss cold showers. If I do like a, a few days of hot showers, I'm like, I need a good cold shower. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to wake up right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to wake up for sure. So um, thanks for coming to the show, man. And uh, I like to uh, just kind of get to know people a little bit beforehand and especially your story because we're, as a podcaster, you know, we're always looking to grow the show to get our uh, message to more more uh, to a bigger audience and really curious how, you know, you've had 
you've been doing it for six years, um, some of the methods that you use that really helped you create success. So, so what was the initial inspiration, um, for you to create the side hustle show? Honestly, it was a lot of peer pressure and this kind of like fear of missing out in a way where like I thought of myself primarily as a writer and kind of after doing some soul searching, kind of wanted to start this more personally branded project. So that's when I kind of transitioned everything from this long running personal blog over to sidehustlenation.com. Say, okay, I'm going to niche down. I'm going to, you know, talk about this particular topic and, and see how I can cover that uh, from every angle. And, and at that time, everybody was like, Hey, you got to have a podcast. Podcasting is the next big thing. And I felt like I had missed the boat when people said the same thing about YouTube before that. It's like, I really don't want to do video, but podcasting seems slightly more <laughs> acceptable or slightly less nerve wracking. And it was still like this hurdle of inertia to get over, even after like watching the tutorial videos and ordering the equipment. And it's like, look, nothing is going to happen until you schedule that first interview. So it was still a challenge uh, to get over that. But that, the, I guess the, the thing that helped me kind of get over that was the idea of doing an interview show instead of like, okay, I don't have to get on and monologue for half an hour. So I can let somebody else do most of the talking and that can still produce interesting, valuable content. And it was you know, especially in the early days and even today, like I'm taking tons of great ideas, like very selfishly from, from the guests and implementing them in my own operations. Like, Oh, that's a cool idea. Like, Oh, I should, I should do that and, uh, and run with that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, um, if you're looking to, you know, masterminds are great, but being a podcast host, especially in a business podcast world is one of the best masterminds ever because <laughs> you get to chat with people like yourself and learn these tools and tricks that the the guests are using and then apply them in your own business. And uh, I think it's really, really, really valuable. So that, that was 2013 when you started up? Yes. Okay. And, and the idea for the side hustle show, where did that come from? That had been my own uh, entrepreneurial background. I had started a footwear comparison shopping site and on the side, first on the side from going to school and then on the side from my day job where I was able to, to grow and kind of become the vehicle that let me quit that job. So I was excited to share kind of this lower risk brand of entrepreneurship and try to spread the gospel around like, look, you don't have to quit your job. You don't have to be, you probably heard the definition of, you know, the entrepreneur is this guy who jumps off the cliff and figures out how to build a parachute on the way down. Like that sounds awful to me. That sounds terrifying <laughs> to me. It's like, no, there's another way you can build something slow. You can build something uh, low risk. You can do it on the side and to try and showcase people who did exactly that. And so it actually started as a side project to that uh, shoe business, that footwear comparison site uh, that I was running, but within uh, a year and a half or so kind of had become the main, the main focus. So, okay. That's, that's a pretty good, I mean, eight, 18 months, a year and a half to take a side project to, to make it your main focus. Um, how many hours a week would you say you were putting into the side business when you started up? Probably 10 to 20 starting out. Okay. Maybe, maybe more than that. I mean, because it was really fun to work on, even though if you look at the 
chart and I'm looking at kind of like the first year of downloads right now, it's abysmal. It's like really, really depressing to see like how few people <laughs> were actually tuning in, but it was like this small semblance of traction and say, hey, some people are tuning in and it was rewarding enough to do that work and to keep going with it. What would you say that the amount of downloads were in your first year? I'm looking at the chart and it's, it takes almost two years deep, probably more than two years deep to start hitting a thousand downloads a day consistently. Okay. Gotcha. And, um, what do you think was the tipping point that changed that for you? Probably a couple of things. The first is just consistency, like committing to doing the show, uh, every week and sticking to that. Um, and along those lines, like not just putting out a show for the sake of putting out a show, like being pretty picky about who you talk to, like the topics that you cover, um, kind of starting with the hook in mind, like, okay, what is the listener going to get out of this? Like, what are they going to learn in exchange for their 30, 45 minutes, whatever it is. Um, and there was another inflection point around mid 2014. So a little over a year deep into the show where I kind of recognized that podcasting isn't a business by itself. Like it can be a marketing channel for a business, but until you have, you know, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of, of downloads, it is not a business uh, on its own. And so that little shift, like recognizing that the show was content marketing was a pretty important inflection point. So what I started doing was creating episode specific lead magnets or content upgrades or, you know, opt-in offers for just about every show starting around episode 64 and did that for, for years and years. I've kind of shifted the strategy uh, a little bit lately and kind of um, attempting a little bit more of an SEO strategy. But at that time, when I started doing that, had around a thousand subscribers on the email list. Again, you know, 14, 15 months into the project within three months of, you know, making this content upgrade strategy, it was 3,000. Within six months, it was 6,000. So that was a really important turning point in, you know, converting kind of these anonymous listeners into email subscribers. And I think that, you know, gave me a, an opportunity to communicate with, them. hey, we might not listen to every episode, but now I can get in your inbox every week. What What are some examples of, of those um, episode-specific lead mag magnets that you were using? So those were just typically summaries of the show. It's like, hey, we recognize you're out, uh, you know, walking the dog, you're driving to work, you're at the gym. Like, look, you're probably not in a good place to take notes. Don't worry, we did it for you. I've compiled uh, a free PDF highlight reel of all this guest's uh, top tips. You can download that at sidehustlenation.com slash 64 or whatever the episode name is, whatever the name of the guest is. Just trying to make it quick and easy. And I think since then, you can actually get access to those through like the links in podcast player apps. And so that just connects to lead pages and lead pages delivers those files. What do you think is, is kind of on the cusp of working today for podcasts? Now you, you said you're actually shifting to SEO. Uh, any reason specific you're doing it? A couple reasons. Um, I think the first is like, I recognize that's kind of like an aggressive opt-in strategy. Um, so still, I'll still put those out, you know, once every month or once every five or six weeks. Um, 
just to try and like spike the email list a little bit because it's been flat for a couple of years because I purge people off the list if they haven't opened anything in, in six months. And so, you know, where at one point I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to 100,000 subscribers. It's like that hasn't happened because, you know, I've kind of dialed back that. Like, so I've killed, you know, pop-ups on the site in favor of, you know, faster load times, better user experience. You know, I've killed the sidebar on the site in favor of better load times, better reading experience. So kind of gotten less aggressive on collecting email subscribers, but hopefully the people who are there, who found their way onto the list are like more engaged. Like, hey, they they wanted to be there versus like, oh, okay, I just, you know, I had to punch in my email to get this specific file. Yeah, I gotcha. In, in some of the SEO strategies um, that you're deciding to use now? So instead of, so a lot of these like uh, podcast episodes with um, with the lead magnets, you know, they may only be 300 words of text on that page. So instead, we kind of shifted to putting a lot of the summaries that we were writing up anyways for these lead magnets, just putting that as text on the page and kind of in blog post form. And so you might have 1500 words of text on the page now, which could end up ranking pretty well for uh, like reselling on Amazon is one I think ranks pretty well, which is a podcast. Um, there are a handful of others where it's like, okay, maybe I can capture some incremental traffic and incremental listens through Google rather than just relying on, you know, iTunes search, podcast, word of mouth, stuff like that. Mm. And have you guys ever, I'm sure you have, but have you ever seriously considered getting a text of the interview and then putting up it on the page? I haven't done full transcriptions in a while. Mm -hmm. And a couple of reasons for that. Like first I tested it years and years ago, did not see a major SEO benefit. Um, I think the strategy of, you know, kind of creating a well-structured blog post rather than a full transcription is proven to work a little bit better uh, for me. And then what I do do on the transcription front is have every raw interview transcribed, and then I can mark up that file and it makes it easy to say, okay, which sections do I want to highlight? Which sections do I want to cut? Like, how can I tighten up this interview? So maybe we'll record for an hour and pull out the best 40 minutes of that just to be respectful of the audience's time. Mm, makes sense. And then how are you, are you having somebody individual transcribe it or is that an AI? Uh, it's an AI transcription. I've switched over to Temi, T-E-M-I. And, uh, it's generally pretty, it's, it's good enough <laughs> for, for these purposes, probably not good enough to like publish anywhere publicly. And so now you've got the side hustle show. I don't know if you know this, but you're, I think, seven in entrepreneurship on Apple, uh, which congratulations, by the way. That's pretty awesome. Wow. And uh, did you know that? No, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah, I've been following. Actually, the uh, Apple just, um, I think, last month or the month before, changed the way that they present a lot of the shows. So I've been following along on how they do that and making sure, and, and especially the ones in entrepreneurship, because that's a category we're in as well. Um, so you had like your first year, your downloads, uh, it, it took you, I think you said two years to get a thousand downloads per episode. What, how many downloads per episode are you guys sitting at now? Probably between 30 and 35,000. Okay. And um, are you publishing weekly? Yes. Every Thursday, rain or shine. What's your thoughts on, um, when you started out, did you start out publishing weekly? Yes. 
what's your thoughts on on publishing weekly versus daily versus a few times a week? If you have the capacity to publish more often, I think that's a powerful way to do it. Man, I struggle to get the one one show out a week. <laughs> so, you know, the people who can do daily and they have a a system and a process for that, it's like, man, hats off, hats off to you. So, um, the the benefit of doing that, I mean, lots of benefits of doing that. Like, you really become part of people's daily habits. Like, you know, if they're listening to you consistently uh, on their commute, like my wife listens to, um, what's the it's one of like the NPR or like the daily, maybe it's a New York times one. And she's like, Oh, it's perfect. It's like 20 minutes, just like the length of my drive. And then on home, like I'll call a friend or something. And like, if you can do that every day, like become part of somebody's routine like that, I think that's really powerful. And then the other element to it is there's some evidence to suggest like the raw number of downloads that you get can help you with exposure in the Apple podcast in some of these, uh, discovery platforms where it's like, okay, if you can, if you have five times the number of episodes that somebody can download, like that's five times the opportunity to you know, get discovered in some of these different uh, search engines. That's a good point. Have you ever focused on one platform over the other, like uh, put more attention to iTunes or, uh, you know, maybe Outcast or a, a different podcast app? Starting out, it was all iTunes all the time. Now you're starting to see like, oh, you know, you can find this on Google Podcasts or you can find this on Spotify. So it's becoming, which is really, really good to have like kind of all these different Android options coming into play because, you know, that's half of the smartphone market market, market share, right? And so it's like, hey, these people need, you know, a native podcast player. And I think that'll be really powerful to continue to grow the, the medium. So if a, if somebody was starting out podcasting, what are some of the best tips that you would offer them in, in today's market? So figuring out who you want to talk to, how are you going to help them? So my friend gave me the, the rule of the internet, and this was like at a affiliate conference years and years ago. He said, people are only ever online for one of two reasons, to solve a problem or to be entertained. And if you think about it, like, that's Google and that's Facebook, right? To solve a problem or to be entertained. And if you want to be entertaining, that's, I believe, a harder sea to swim in, I think, because you're competing with ESPN and HBO and like, you know, there's big budgets behind entertainment and there's big budgets behind solving a problem too. But if you have a specific problem that you can address and you can do it in a, a unique and compelling way and maybe an entertaining way, I think that's an easier uh, an easier seat to swim in and and maybe easier for people to discover and, and share you. So I remember several different episodes that I would consider like too good not to share. One was on smart passive income. And it was like episode 99 where this woman was talking about flipping products like from her local Walmart and reselling them on Amazon. And I was like, as soon as I got back from the dog walk, I like forwarded it to five friends who are like super bargain shoppers already. Like, dude, you have to listen to this. Like <laughs> this will make you money. And so that's kind of the reaction that I'm going for. And I don't hit it every week with something that's too good not to share, but trying to scoop these stories that nobody's ever heard of, or, you know, uncover a unique marketing angle that, you know, might help somebody in their business. Like, I think that is really exciting for me to be able to kind of play journalist in that way and spread those messages. 
Yeah, it makes sense. I really like that. Um, people are online to solve a problem or be entertained. Um, and that really makes sense because um, that's, you know, I think we, in the internet marketing world anyway, we can get really lost on uh, why people are coming to our website or why people are coming to, to use our service or buy our product. And if we know that, if we keep that in mind, I think that could help a lot of entrepreneurs out for sure. Um, what about like for those people that do want to start a podcast or start out in today's market, any, uh, strategies to focus on, you touched on problem or entertain, but, um, you know, batching beforehand, um, recommendations on, on the frequency of publishing, uh, what platforms to focus on, um, you know, any, any equipment you recommend starting out as well, anything like that. Well, the equipment is easy. Just get yourself a Audio Technica ATR twenty one hundred. This is like the eighty twenty of podcast mics, where you sound eighty percent as good for twenty percent of the cost of some <laughs> uh, fancier mic. And uh, like, so around episode three hundred, I like finally bought myself like this fancier mic. I can't tell the difference. Like, I don't think it makes any difference. So, nice. okay. just, you know, get it's like sixty bucks on Amazon. You know, that's that's all you need to uh, to get started. Um, it might make sense to kind of f front load your content a little bit uh, to, you know, if you eventually want to go weekly, maybe you do two or three times a week starting out just to give people a little bit of variety, kind of build that listening habit a little bit. There's some evidence to suggest that at least in Apple podcasts, your rolling seven day number of new subscribers uh, is what helps your rankings. So instead of kind of like the call to action that I gave a lot of people when I was launching was like, hey, you know, go download some episodes or go download this podcast. Like every download helps. Like <laughs> that's literally what I said. Like you don't even have to listen to it. Every download helps. Um, instead, I would switch that call to action. Like, hey, would you mind subscribing? Like every every new subscription tends to, uh, you know, bump that up. Plus then you're getting those downloads kind of counted uh, automatically every week, which can uh, you know, perhaps help you in, in different algorithms too. So I would make that the call to action and then just focus on, you know, converting those listeners that you do, do have in the early days, converting those into subscribers and fans, which happens by, you know, some transformation or some, you know, some concrete way that you help them. Like, cause I'll get notes like, Hey, I listened to this episode. I took action. Now I'm making a thousand bucks a month. Like, that is a fan for life, right? That is an evangelist. They are going to spread the word for you. And so if the more you can focus on, you know, getting people to those, in my case, like kind of the money milestones, but whatever your podcast is about, like what is the, you know, logical action step that somebody is going to take? What's the result that they're going to see from that? Once they see that result, they'll love you forever. Yeah, makes sense. Um, what do you see that podcasts out there today are lacking? The challenge today versus, you know, 2013 versus 2009 is there's a lot more money in the space. So you have a lot more of these really highly produced NPR style shows. There's so much more variety uh, of content that is out there. And a lot of it's really well done. So you got to figure out, okay, how am I going to stand out against that? And since I don't have a production staff of 14 people, like I'm going to have to stand out by making the content itself truly exceptional what's your what's your thoughts on spotify 
I think that's an exciting development. Like the more places you can kind of syndicate your show, the better. Um, it's, you know, interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they do, what Pandora ends up doing. It's like, you know, these are apps that everybody already has on their phone. And so it's like, okay, you know, maybe you can convert some music listeners into podcast listeners. Like, uh, here's a question. If you wanted to double the traffic to your podcast, and I know you're focusing on SEO, is there, what would you do? Any other strategies that you would focus on? The biggest spikes that I've seen have come from uh, guesting on other uh, appropriate shows or niche relevant shows. So like, you know, Entrepreneur on Fire back in the day, uh, Afford Anything, Choose FI, Bigger Pockets Money. Like those are some of the bigger spikes. Mad Scientist, those are some of the bigger spikes um, that I've seen on the, on the download chart or you know, shortly following when those episodes came out. And when I go on other shows, I try to make a point of highlighting certain guests or highlighting certain interesting, compelling stories, not just like, Hey, check out my podcast. Like, Oh, in episode, you know, 258, we talked about this specific strategy that might be relevant to your listeners. Like, and I don't know that for, for whatever, it kind of like forces the hand of like, Hey, you know, we're going to include that link for you in the show notes, a little bit of an SEO play, but like, instead of starting at episode one or starting, you know, I'll just download the most recent three, like, okay, now I have a, an interesting starting point. Uh, to get somebody uh, hooked on that. Nick, what's your thoughts on um, at getting advertisers versus, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of um, products and services that you sell on, on your platform versus uh, creating your own products or services. Uh, any, any preference there or recommendations for podcasters? Yeah, sponsorships have turned into a pretty significant revenue stream for me. So this started probably three years into the show where advertisers started reaching out and asking about sponsorship rates. I was like, I, I don't know, you know, it's like you don't want to be the first person to name a number in a negotiation, right? Right. Um, and that's actually turned out to be a win-win because that's kind of allowed me to scale back on some other projects that I was doing because I you know, needed to drive revenue. And that's allowed me to focus on building a better show. And on top of that, people reach out like, hey, actually, actually thanking me. Like, oh, thank you for introducing me to such and such product or service. Like, so that's where sponsorships can be a win, win, win. But if your numbers don't justify, you might be kind of depressed. Like, uh, you know, if you're at a 25 or $30, you know, CPM cost per thousand downloads, like, and you're only getting a thousand downloads, you're like, there was a lot of work for 30 bucks. Like that didn't make, that didn't make a lot of sense. Um, so recognizing there are other ways to monetize a show, whether it be through your own products or services, whether it be through, um, you know, affiliate products or services, that's the other big revenue stream for me is affiliate offers uh, through the site, even affiliate offers from, uh, from the guest. Uh, so example would be like uh, Greg Mercer will come on and talk about, uh, you know, his Amazon FBA product research strategies. Here's how you can do it manually. But oh, by the way, I built this tool called Jungle Scout that everybody uses that can save you a ton of time and effort doing that. Here's a special discount for your listener. Here's the affiliate link for your listeners. So that's one way to do it. Um, I've seen a lot of listener supported podcasts, which to me seems weird in the business space. It's like, <laughs> hey, can you donate to me? Like, dude, how good are you at business if you're asking yeah. for donations? Um, so, but depending on your niche, like that could be appropriate. Um, 
And one interesting one, I actually just talked to a guy at a conference last week and hope to record with him about this, was his podcasting strategy was solely to book clients for his agency. So he would do some prospecting on LinkedIn, find his you know target customer or what appeared to be his target customer, invite them on his show. So immediately like, hey, you know, using this kind of uh, flattery marketing, hey, I recognize you're a leader in, in your space. I would love to interview, interview for my podcast, you know, half hour, easy conversation. And during the course of that conversation or kind of like in the pre-chat, after chat, like he's like, you know, building some rapport, asking them about their marketing efforts, their PR efforts. And he his cost per acquisition for like, you know, four to $6,000 customer engagement was insanely low following this strategy. It's like, that's really, really creative. Like even if no one listens to the show and he's like, and the funny thing is like, now the show is starting to grow an audience of his own. So definitely lots of different ways you can take the, <laughs> the podcasting and turn it into a, a business model. Are you, are you, can you share the name of that show? I would like to listen to it. <laughs> I don't know the name of the show yet, but it's from Josh Elledge. His business is Up My Influence. It's a PR agency. That's great. I'm sure he's an amazing salesman. On your show, on your business, Nick, um, the the amount of revenue uh, – like the amount of affiliate revenue you get advertising and then like selling your own products, which one's bringing in the majority? Affiliates are probably the number one right now, followed by sponsorships and then followed by my own products. So actually starting trying to build out that third leg of the stool in the form of my own products a little bit more uh, this summer. So I started working on kind of like a side hustle, quick start challenge geared at uh, starting a freelance business, starting a consulting type of business, service offering, and we'll see we'll see where that goes. Okay, cool. And and the um, how do you set your affiliates up? Do you, is that through with each guest that comes on the show? You ask them uh, put an affiliate link on the the page that you create for them, or is there anything else to that? A lot of times they'll have something set up if it's, uh, you know, a course through Teachable, like that's easy enough to set up. A lot of the products have, or, or through a certain affiliate network already. And and it's not every week either. Like some, you know, sometimes it's just like, I, I this is not an affiliate link, you know, but this person is pitching their product or whatever. And like, fine, right? You can't have every, can't have every episode, like have that type of sales pitch in it, but it's still a platform for, the guests to kind of showcase their uh, their expertise and and you don't have to be as aggressively monetized as uh, as you maybe could be okay and and what are your own products that you're offering now historically it's been mostly books on amazon so I have a handful of titles in kindle paperback and and audiobook format and then it's been a few years since i started or since i tried to create my own course and so that's kind of the the new frontier or the new exciting frontier at the moment to see if, uh, if, if people want it for one, if they, if they trust me to teach this stuff and uh, to see if I can make that into uh, another revenue stream on its own. Got it. And, and when you pick your sponsors, um, do you have some, some margins or, or boundaries or, uh, things that you require to, to make sure that sponsors are, or good for your guest, or, or what? It, what's the thought process you go through when a sponsor approaches you and wants to advertise on the podcast? 
Yeah, it's like, can I figure out what they're offering? Because there's been some where it's like, I don't know even what this is. Like, how would I, how would I pitch this? Um, so usually try and go for companies that you have, you've heard of, uh, companies that have a compelling value proposition for this audience, which again is largely involved with you know building an online business, building a freelancing business, building an e-commerce business. It's like, okay, how does it fit that kind of customer avatar? And then, you know, is this something that in a lot of cases I've used myself? Like, do I trust this company? Does this make sense? So like FreshBooks has been a sponsor for years. It's a perfect fit for you know, anybody getting started on uh, the freelancing side of things. Um, who else? Like the Skillshare has been a fantastic sponsor for the last year or so, which is like kind of a, it's like Netflix for online courses basically. And uh, there's been a handful of those where it's like, okay, this just is a, is a good partnership and they end up continuing to renew. Excellent. Um, Nick, are you open to share uh, the amount of business revenue that, that your podcast and business creates? Last year in sponsorships was around 50 grand in total, which you know doesn't count like the production costs, but they're not, that's not huge, maybe a hundred bucks a week. And that would for me, because that was like the, that's what I used to make at my old day job. And it's like, you know, here's it, here's it to the podcast. Like, hey, the podcast pays for itself directly. And that's not even counting like all the indirect benefits uh, of doing this show. And that's just like straight up uh, sponsorship uh, revenue. Very cool. And um, what would you say to the listeners, Nick, if you, if you like went back to ground zero and you had to start all over and you had, you were going to podcast, what would you do right off the bat? In the early days, it really is kind of this ground game at marketing fight for your first listeners. And then once you have those, they can kind of become advocates for you. Look at an example of a, of a show that's really taken off in the past, not even three years, is Choose FI. So this is Choose Financial Independence. And they, they kind of looked at this space, the financial independence space, and saw this growing, you know, fire movement, financial independence, retire early kind of community. And there were a handful of podcasts that, you know, talked about it maybe for an episode or two. And there were a ton of blogs related to this content. So they kind of validated the idea through the popularity of these blogs on this topic. And so there's really no podcast dedicated to this topic. And so they went all in on that and were able to capture and convert a ton of that blog readership into podcast listenership. And they've grown a Facebook community of 50,000 people in less than three years, which is kind of the heart and soul uh, of, of their effort because those first few people really felt like they were in on the ground floor and had to share it because especially because like this is a multi-year lifestyle journey of like, how do I you know become financially independent and how do I potentially retire early? Like it's not going to happen tomorrow for you. So it's like you want other people kind of along for the ride with you. And it's been really impressive to see what uh, what those guys have built. That's cool. I, I know you guys have a Facebook community too. When did you start that and, and how long did it take it to really take off? So this probably started 2014, 2015, maybe even 2015. So almost a couple years deep into the project. Like I'd always said, hey, this is the community for you know aspiring and part-time entrepreneurs but never really put my money where my mouth was until, uh, you know, starting that Facebook group, which 
is like pros and cons. Like if you started on day one and it's a ghost town, then that kind of sucks too. But if you wait too long, then it's like, hey, you know, where is it? So people were kind of asking for it. And I was hesitant to do it. Like, what's this going to take in terms of management and moderation? And moderation, like, is going to add, you know, more complexity, more time sucks out of my week. But it's actually been a really rewarding thing to see build from the ground up. And I don't have 50,000 members, um, which I imagine would be a full-time job to try and moderate that. Um, but it's really cool to take the platform from one to many, which is like me, you know, recording from my, my you know, bedroom or, you know, kid's bedroom closet, um, or even like on the blog, one to many, like typing out and, you know, reaching the masses that way. Uh, so it's taking it from one to many to many to many, where now people are kind of asking and answering questions on their own and you're kind of at the hub or the center of that community but it's been really cool uh, to see that uh, that bubble up and uh, and the connections that are being made in there because you'll have people asking like hey i need help with such and such do you have any recommendations oh i can i do professional copywriting as a side hustle like i'm happy to help so it's really cool to to see that stuff do you do you keep a consistent posting schedule for your facebook group or just kind of post whenever you feel like it feel like you need to reply to people so I try and go in nightly and see what conversations are going on and nuke any um, <laughs> questionable uh, comments or self-promotional comments that the moderators haven't gotten to yet. Um, it's been actually a really good source of content. So we can ask questions like, what are the best uh, business ideas for kids, right? And kind of crowdsource a response for that. And actually that post is ranking pretty well um, on Google if you look for like best business ideas for kids. So crowdsourcing content that way, crowdsourcing content for uh, the podcast itself, like Q&A style episodes. Um, occasionally we'll do coaching style episodes where people kind of raise their hand and say, hey, I could use some help with such and such. This is my business, but I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. So sometimes we can turn that into coaching content. And occasionally you find like case study, uh, like success story content as well. Like, hey, I started a business doing like one I'm recording this afternoon, like picking up dog poop. And I was like, oh, wait, he's like, I got 30 customers and I charge 30 bucks a person. And I was like, wait a minute, you're doing how much in dog poop cleanup? And he had this whole system. And I was like, that's really interesting. <laughs> so, so he kind of bubbles up, uh, you know, some content kind of bubbles up from the community, which is really cool. The, what else, what else? And then the other piece of the community side is making a point to point that out on air. Like this is a side hustle show listener who, you know, took action on this and now they're seeing this type of results. Let's dive in and see how they made that happen. Right. And kind of allowing the listener to put themselves in their shoes and say, okay, this person was just like me a year ago, but they took action, you know, and so that's kind of empowering, hopefully empowering for people tuning in. Have have you ever thought, you know, I've been, a lot of people have asked me this, um, about doing video podcasts. So recording the video and either slapping it up on YouTube and then, uh, maybe cutting out short clips and putting it on, uh, the interwebs to, to bring in traffic. Um, I'm sure it's probably come across your plate, but what's your thoughts on, on video podcasting? A couple different options. I don't, necessarily see somebody watching a you know 45 minute pair of talking heads on youtube i don't know if that's like the most compelling youtube experience now that said if you look at my channel like the first 300 videos are something like placeholder image and then just like roll the mp3 from the podcast not 
the greatest YouTube experience. But I will say, so that most most of those episodes, you know, have very few views, but a few of them like hit the algorithm just right and have tens of thousands of views. So you never know where your next biggest fans or listeners are going to come from. So there's some level of syndication that that makes sense there. And, you know, as another search engine, another discoverability platform could be really powerful. And I do get notes from people like, oh, I've been, you know, watching your stuff on, on YouTube. I like the idea of pulling out individual questions from the show. Like if you're doing a Q&A style show and you can, you know, pull out that specific segment, I think that may be easier for YouTube to digest or for a viewer on YouTube to digest than a 45 minute thing. Like, oh, it's this four minute answer to a particular question. But the other thing that I'm trying to do, you know, this year, and there's always like, you know, more things to do than there is time, but to kind of showcase some different side hustles that, you know, maybe aren't a great fit for the podcast, or maybe they're like seemingly too simple for the podcast and put that type of content up on YouTube and try and do some editing and stuff to make that a little bit more compelling than just two talking heads. So I talked to a guy who had made 10 grand delivering stuff, uh, delivering groceries for Instacart. And I was like, dude, that's significant. Like that's a lifestyle changing, potentially life-changing amount of money. And he's like, yeah, it's allowed us to pay off our debt and take this trip. And it's been really cool. And he was putting in a ton of time to make that happen, but it was still kind of this compelling story. And so it was able to do a video around that topic by chatting with him and then turn that into a long form blog post. I'm like, Hey, what's it like to be an Instacart shopper? Can you make real money here? What's uh, what kind of hourly rate can you expect? What are the pros and cons? And um, so trying to do that a little bit more. So have something scheduled for like donating plasma or like being a teacher on VIP kid, where it's like, it's probably a little too niche to cover on the podcast itself, but hopefully compelling for the combination of YouTube and then turning it into uh, a blog post for SEO. Now, I, I know you're into productivity, Nick, and I just have to ask you, um, do you have any batching strategies or uh, days that you choose to podcast on or um, uh, days that you choose to, to edit and promote or anything like that? Or maybe, you know, I think John Lee Dumas does, uh, you know, records like 30 episodes in two days or something like that. <laughs> any, any productivity batching tips for your podcasting habits? Yeah, so I try and batch record everything on Tuesdays. Tuesdays is like the meeting meeting day. And so this afternoon, it's pretty stacked up from like 1230 to five with, with different meetings and recordings. Um, and that's been more helpful from the standpoint of like freeing up bigger blocks of time the rest of the week. And so I just have those, you know, I have Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, like and Friday, like blocked off on my um, uh, schedule once calendar. And so just like, hey, you know, do any of these times work? And, you know, occasionally people be like, dude, do you have anything that's not on Tuesday? Like Tuesdays I travel or whatever. Um, and sometimes you, you have a little flexibility to make that work, but really try and funnel everybody into that one day a week. Got it. Um, now we're interviewing a hundred major influencers, Nick, uh, people that have built up a significant amount of influence from either their business or have the influence in a creative business. And it seems like, um, you have built up your influence, your audience from 
your podcast and which is awesome i i really appreciate that and uh, when it comes to managing the influence that you have what are some key priorities that you keep in mind um, to make sure that it doesn't get out of hand or that you um, people see you respectively and just priorities for you in in your business as an influencer well i'm i'm flattered by that, I don't know what I think of the term influencer, but it's hard, especially on the podcast. I think it's hard to fake. And so when I meet people in real life, which is probably the most rewarding part of my job, like taking that online relationship offline, people are like, oh, you're, you're just like you are on air. It's like, well, yeah, I've been doing this for six years. Like it would be hard, it would be hard to fake. Um, so I think that kind of being genuine, being yourself, like, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to hide, hard to hide behind a, a facade, especially for if you're going to be doing it for, for a long time. Um, I don't know. I'm curious, like, have you found like moral dilemmas in the influencer space? And I guess I'm really grateful. Like, I have, I did, I did create a folder in Gmail called hate mail, but there's not a ton of messages in there. Like, you know, very, very few people reach out and, you know, drop F-bombs and stuff in my inbox. Um, and maybe that's because I haven't done a ton on YouTube yet. <laughs> so I don't know, like if you, like, do you have any examples from, from your own business of how influence must be wielded with responsibility? Mine? No, but you know, there's, I don't know if you've seen a Netflix show, um, fire festival or have heard the story about fire festival, but, uh, are you familiar? Yes. Yeah. So a guy with an influence teamed up with a famous rapper, I don't know the rapper's name, but also had major influence and then, you know, sold this, uh, event to the world and they bought, you know, they paid a bunch of influencers to market it on Instagram. And so, so, you know, it's like, um, when a lot of people hear the word influencer, they, uh, they associate it with like the used card salesman from back in the day where, you know, there's, I don't want to be an influencer because, you know, I just don't like the term and I don't like the reputation behind it. But I, I, I love the idea of influence. I love the idea of um, using that influence in a responsible way to build a business, to make a better life for yourself, to make a better life for the people that um, you, your audience, the people you engage in. And so that's kind of the reason that we're talking about influence uh, with so many people on our show because, um, you know, so there, there has been a lot of negative PR and negative uh, stigmas out there about influence and influencers. Yeah, especially around the fire festival, <laughs> yeah. the the Instagram, the Instagram influencer world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, have you ever thought about doing live events? I know a lot of people that get audiences. We just had Nomadic Matt on the show, and and he's doing live events now after uh, running a really successful blog after. 10 years or whatever, but just curious if, if you've ever thought about something like that. That would be really cool. I, I find I get a lot of energy from just hosting informal meetups wherever I go. And so maybe, maybe there's something there, like start with like a one day kind of mastermind retreat type of thing. Um, and, and I don't know, like there's so much effort. Like I just came back from FinCon, which is like my favorite uh, marketing conference of the year. And like the, number of moving parts and logistics to pull this thing off. And granted, they had like 2,500 people. Um, it's, it's really impressive. Um, but 
there is something to bringing together that that community in a, in a really unique space. Absolutely. It's a lot of work too. <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs> um, I think that's it, Nick. Uh, is there anything about podcasting that uh, we haven't talked about that you'd like to mention? Starting out, you know, maybe something that we didn't touch on was like to be respectful of the listener's time more than you're respectful of your own time. And by that, I mean, you know, taking the time to curate and edit an episode that is really helpful, that kind of delivers on the promise. And so, you know, I will, will, like I said, we'll go through those transcripts and try and mark up the parts that I think are repetitive, that I think aren't super beneficial to the listener. And you, you try and leave some of the humanizing elements in there, like, oh, if it's a quick aside about you know, someone's dog or something like that. It's totally fine. But if it's a five minute rant about something that's not super related, like, yeah, I don't need to air that. Yeah. That's a really good tip too. And, and I've never heard it. uh, I think we apply that in our show, but I've never um, actually heard that tip verbally. So that's really good. Um, Well, Nick, I've got to say thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your, your business methods with us. We really appreciate it. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you guys have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Um, Of course, we'd love to have you tune in to the side hustle show available in Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever, wherever you get your podcasts these days. And if you are at the stage of looking for a side hustle idea, you can hit up sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. That's my constantly updated laundry list of part-time business ideas you can start today. And there's no opt-in required over there. Yeah. And I, I've seen a couple posts. One, you had 99 ideas to make money and the other one, 250 ideas to, to, for side hustles or something like that, which looked really cool. Yes. There's never a, like, don't, don't let lack of ideas be your excuse. There's lots of stuff out there. (laughs) Absolutely. And again, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, Listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.